Hello again. Uh, I, again, I'm Clayton. I'm one of the pastors here. And again, we want to welcome you to Kingswood. Um, when I was a sophomore in high school, my youth pastor decided to plan a different kind of mission trip. Often in, in youth groups, like the youth group we have here at Kingswood, um, we would typically drive out of state somewhere and help by building uh, whether homes or painting or doing those sorts of things for a summer mission trip. We do that together and serve uh, one another as a youth group. However, this year, our youth pastor decided that he would do a four-day summer retreat that consists of high ropes courses, uh, rock rappelling, and white water rafting. And so for someone like myself, who's not exceptionally adventurous and doesn't like heights, this was not uh, one of those trips I was exactly looking forward to. Uh, because of my fear of heights, I think my, I, the one I was most stressed about was rappelling down a rock face, um, but the high ropes course came in a close second. Uh, so as, I first, as we began to rappel down the rocks, obviously, we, each person had to go one by one. And so I just kind of stood to the back. I was going to wait, and maybe people would forget that I was there, and then I wouldn't have to go down the rock face. However, they did not. Um, and at first, I tried to back out. I was like, uh, I think it's okay. Like, I don't, I don't need to do this thing. Uh, but my youth pastor, he said, uh, we're not going to make you do it, which I hate. But then they say, but we think it would be really good if you tried. And then my brother um, also gave me some encouragement and eventually, I decided to do it. And so I got strapped in, harnessed in, all that, which was very scary. I hadn't even gone down yet. And then they said, and I quote, all you have to do is walk off the edge of the rock, which was not helpful uh, for me. Um, and then they continued by saying, don't worry, you're harnessed in, which also wasn't really helpful because all I envisioned was myself falling about 100 feet to the ground. And so I ended up going off the rock, and I, it seemed like an eternity. Um, and I ended up going all the way down to the ground. And I quickly unhooked myself from the harness and was very thankful uh, that I survived and made it all the way down. And, uh, but afterwards, I realized I was not the only one scared. We all took this risk of walking off the edge of the rock, harnessed in to rappel down, it's something I will never forget, and it's also something that I promised I would never do again, and have not. Um, so while this is a kind of a silly story about my fear of heights, um, it does highlight something in all of us that we struggle with, and that's risk. For me, on the rock face, I was afraid, um, and this is often why we don't take risks. We like the way our life is right now, or we might say things like, this could change how others think about me, or I'm afraid that I may get hurt in some way. In other, in other words, we look to the, posi uh, the, the possible negative impacts and believe that the risk is too high. Another reason why we often struggle to take risk is that it involves a level of uncertainty. We don't know how it will turn out, and similar to fear, we expect the worst possible outcome. So instead, we stay where we are. For some of us, we'd rather live within a situation that we don't like, that gives us a level of certainty, than take a risk uh, because we're not sure how everything will work out in the end. 
However, it is even risky to not risk anything. We, to never take a risk is to be content with the way that things are right now. And as followers of Jesus, we're called to work for change even when it requires risk. And today, um, as you heard Jim so beautifully read, we heard a story from the book of Esther in the Hebrew Scriptures uh, that too speaks to this issue of risk. So let's hear this story again and see what it has to say to us about risk, what it has to say to us about facing and confronting injustice. So today's scripture places us within a critical moment in the book of Esther. But before uh, we get there, it's important to give some context for this story. So in the first chapter, we're introduced to the king, and he's having this party, and he summons the queen, but she does not come. And the king gets so angry that he takes her title of queen away. And so when someone's title of queen is taken away, what happens next is they need to look for a new queen. And Esther is then named the next queen. And so we see that this king rules by fear. He's really difficult and hard. And eventually um, we see Esther comes into that. And at, at this point, we are introduced to another character, Mordecai. Now, some have in some Bible translations, Mordecai is referred to Esther as her uncle and others as her older cousin. And so it's not clear, but we do know that there was some sort of relation between Mordecai and Esther, probably more of a cousin, but he was also a father-like figure to her. He helped to raise her. And he hears about this assassination attempt on the king. And so what he does is he goes to Esther, because she's the queen, and tells her about it. And so what she does is she goes on Mordecai's behalf to the king, and tells the king about this assassination attempt, and it ends up being foiled, and the two men being caught. And then we learn about Haman, and he becomes second in command to the king. And when he's installed as second in command, Mordecai doesn't bow to him, uh, which Haman takes as a sign, a great sign of disrespect, um, and he gets very, very mad with Mordecai. And then Haman learns that Mordecai is a Jew, and he's so enraged against Mordecai that he vows to destroy all of the Jews in the entire kingdom. And then, eventually, Mordecai finds out about this plot from Haman, similar to the assassination attempt on the king. And so, similarly, he goes back to Esther and says, you need to approach the king and stop what Haman is planning. And that's where we pick up the story in chapter 4, verses 10 to 17. So to recap, in this specific episode of the story, we have Esther, who's the queen. We have Mordecai, who's a father-like figure, who seems to always be in the right place at the right time and find out that someone eventually is going to die somehow. And then, uh, not necessarily in the story, but kind of in the background of the whole book, is Haman, who's plotting to kill every Jew in the entire kingdom, which is a problem. And uh, then we also have the king. So... In verse 9, we read um, that uh, Hathach went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to him and gave him a message for Mordecai, saying, All the king's servants and the people of the king's province know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law. All alike are to be put to death. Only if the king holds out the golden scepter to someone, may that person live. I myself have not been called into the king 
for 30 days. So the plot by Haman is received, uh, Esther learns about it at this moment. But at first she doesn't want to risk anything. She doesn't want to go to the king, um, and really for good reason. Um, She's afraid for her own life, Um, partially because the king rules with fear, but she's concerned for her own safety because if she goes in there and isn't summoned by the king, the king in that day had every right to kill her. Her concern really is, if I approach the king, then I might die. And the message that she sends back to Mordecai is that basically, like, throwing up her hands, there's nothing I can do, the king hasn't summoned me, I, you need to find someone else, I can't do this. Um, however, she has approached the king before, right? We read about in chapter 2 was when she foiled the assassination attempt on the king. So the question is, what has happened between chapter 2 and chapter 4 where she now feels like she isn't summoned or can't be summoned? Part of it is, at the very end there, we see that she hasn't been summoned for 30 days, so that could be a way to say, yeah, I don't think in the last 30 days it hasn't happened, it's probably not going to happen in the next 30 days, and so we need to find a different plan to kind of foil this uh, plot by Haman. So she sends this messenger back to him, and then Mordecai responds with this. He says, do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all other Jews. For if you keep silence at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise from the Jews from another quarter. But you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to world dignity for such a time as this. And so the first thing that Mordecai reminds Esther is that she too is a Jew, and Haman is going to destroy all of the Jews, and so she really has no protection in this plot that Haman is trying to carry out. No amount of her power as queen or protection from the king uh, will be able to, to save her. Mordecai knows that Haman is going to stop at nothing because of his deep anger for Mordecai to make sure that all people are destroyed. So Mordecai is reminding Esther, again, not to forget who she is. He cares deeply for her um, as this father-like figure to Esther and knows at this point she is the only person. She's kind of their last hope. I think of like the scene from Star Wars, like Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. Like this is the moment where, what, that Mordecai is in and Esther is the Obi-Wan Kenobi type of figure um, in this story that she needs to be the one to confront this injustice to stop Haman. Mordecai says that even if Esther does nothing, that something will happen. Something's going to come about for the the deliverance of the Jews, but that her and her family will be destroyed. Some scholars believe that Mordecai is saying that even if Esther does nothing, that God will still deliver them. Again, probably going back to this idea of the exodus and out of um, deep, deep challenge and, and looking like the odds are against them, that God continues to save the Israelite people. And he also recognizes that if she goes to the king, she may die. But if she does nothing and allow Haman's plan to come to fruition, then she will certainly die because she is a Jew and that is his plan to destroy um, all those people. And then he he lastly concludes by asking Esther to consider that maybe her calling, maybe the reason she's in the position as queen is to help to save her people. See, Mordecai risks a lot here as well. He's talking very directly to a queen who had a lot of power. In fact, some scholars believe 
that Mordecai was doing a pseudo threat to Esther because he was such in desperate need for her to go to the king. But the point is that Mordecai is pushing Esther to reconsider, to say, you don't have to just throw up your hands. You can do something. You can risk something in this situation. And then Esther replies to that again. It says, then um, Esther said, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and neither eat nor drink for three days or nights. I, my maids, will also fast as you do. After that, I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. So we see here that Esther eventually changes course, and he decides that Mordecai is right, and she needs to take this risk. This may be that she realized that Mordecai um, was, was right, that if Haman's plan came to fruition, that it didn't matter if she did nothing, that she would eventually die as well, that being queen wouldn't save her. She may have felt a sense of loyalty to Mordecai um, because he was like a father figure, and that is maybe what changed her mind. We're not sure why she changes course, but either way she does and decides that she will go to the king. But she's not going to the king right away. We see that she's waiting three days and three nights, that she wants herself and her maids to fast, but she wants all of Israel to be fasting um, on her behalf. And and many scholars believe that when the Israelites fasted um, in the Hebrew Bible, it was really not only fasting, but they were praying for deliverance. And so then this goes back to what Mordecai had said to her, that if you don't do anything that God will still deliver us. And so this is a way for her to say, okay, I believe you, let's fast and let's pray for our deliverance from this situation. The hope is that through this continued fasting and praying, Esther may be successful and the king will listen to her, uh, which will save all of them. And eventually, Esther does approach the king. The king is surprised to find out about this plot that Haman has secretly been doing kind of behind his back. Um, And this king is a hard and difficult king. So when he finds this out, he does save his people, and he hangs Haman, and he dies. So again, we see a very difficult story, one of violence and death. And I I first want to name that. But it's also a story that I think we can learn from, and it has a lot to teach us about injustice, about fear, and about taking risks today. Much like... Uh, Esther, many of us can be frozen by fear and uncertainty. There are decisions that we know that we need to make, but we also know that those decisions require us to risk something. Some uh, may, may be thinking that I feel like I'm continuously living in the sense of uncertainty with the pandemic, and I just need some certainty, and therefore I can't make that decision right now. Maybe for some of you, like Esther, you're worried about what it might mean for yourself. I don't think you're going to a king and worried you're going to die, but there's still this sense of concern and worry about what this decision will change. You're worried about maybe what others will think. You're worried about that the decision you make will affect your relationship with this person or that person or this family member or that family member. For others, maybe you're in need of someone else to make a decision, much like Mordecai. You need Esther to go to the king. Maybe for you, this is a family member or a friend who has a difficult decision ahead of them, but they're refusing to 
face the reality. Maybe for you, you need help. Uh, you need to help them see and not be afraid and know that they are not alone. No matter where you are on this continuum of Esther to Mordecai, um, what the story teaches us is that we need to face our we need to face our reality. Uh, with a certain amount of risk, that risk is involved. And more importantly, I think we can learn uh, from Mordecai, what Mordecai said to Esther, is that there is risk involved even when we choose not to face a reality. What I mean by this is if Esther had chosen not to say anything, she would eventually had to have faced something. What the story of Esther shows us is that, yes, we must face our realities. And yes, it is difficult. And yes, we at times aren't sure what the right decision is. But it's in these moments that we need to trust in God. For Esther, yes, she was afraid, but she, she sought God's guidance, not by herself, but she had others come alongside her through fasting and through prayer. And then we must, um, when, when we must take a risk, we should first pause and go to God. And we need to go to God because God is already working in those difficult moments and spaces. And yes, God is with us, but we also need others beside us, like Mordecai, encouraging us along the way. I had people come alongside me when I was harnessed in on the edge of a rock face and wasn't sure what to do. So for us, as Kingswood Church, we need people that will come alongside us to encourage us, and at times to push us to take risks and face our realities. We also need uh, to be this encouragement for others. We may have friends or family that need to make a decision to face it. In these situations, it can be risky to come alongside them. However, when we, risk, when we take the risk, we can realize that we are not alone. Kingswood Church... Let us be people who face our reality, who take risks, who, when we see injustice, we don't think, this isn't my problem. But instead, we do the difficult thing, and we confront and work for justice in every place, knowing that we are going to the place that Jesus already inhabits, that Jesus is already there working, and therefore, we are not alone. Let us together work for justice, knowing that we must take risks and that maybe we have been placed within that specific moment for such a time as this. Let us not throw up our hands and say it's not my problem, but instead, let us take the risk and face it. Amen.